is responsible for the hardness of our heart we allow our hearts to be built that way and that's really important because you know what happens in hardness of heart we say no 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 you can't say that they did that to me listen they did but you are responsible for how you integrate that information into your life think about the word responsible response able people are self-focused in this world there's no reason to deny it We tend to look out for ourselves first and others second. That typically means we'll hurt someone along the way, and someone will hurt us. Pastor Daniel acknowledges this in today's message, but also tells us that the actions of other people doesn't have to ruin us. How we respond to what happens in our lives is on us. With God's help, it can be glorifying to Him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 19 with part two of his message, Finding the Heart of Marriage. So then, now you like that, right? Because he quoted two scriptures from creation, he's like, because of these things, so then... They are no longer two, but they're one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. You hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, listen, when you're married, you're not two anymore, you're one. And because you're not two, you're one, God put you together, but no one separated. Now listen, I quote this at every single wedding I've ever done, and anytime I talk to a couple who wants to get married, I bring them to this verse. Because I say, listen, you realize the commitment you're making is right here. That if God is bringing you together, let no one separate. And I'll talk about this a little more in a little bit. I want them to realize what's at stake. And you know what happens anytime I meet a couple who's struggling and they're using the D word? I bring them to this verse. I say, look, you're using language that God would not even entertain. And people get upset. You know why? Because when people have enough water under the bridge, you can say, well, listen, this is really, like, I need to get out of here. You don't even know. But listen, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Like, I want you just to let that sit. I mean, we've heard this verse so many times. But when was the last time you really let it sit? It's not the government brought them together. It's not their families came together. It's not the pastor presided over it. God has brought them together. And that changes it, doesn't it? That's a complete game changer in it. What God has joined together, let no one separate. So creation is marriage's foundation. But notice what happens in verse 7. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Now, 
What's fascinating here is now we really see in verse 7 what the Pharisees are really all about because they're continually trying to catch Jesus in his words so they can accuse him for not honoring the law of Moses. So they jump out. They said, so uh, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? I'll give you the principle and then I'm going to unpack it for you. Really what we learn here is that divorce reveals hard hearts. That's what we're going to learn here, is that what God has joined together, let no one separate. The two become one, but then what we find is that when divorce happened, it reveals hard hearts. See, and in a lot of ways, you have to realize that long before divorce happens, hard hearts happen. When two hearts will be hard, so hard, and for so long, eventually the certificate of divorce is the revelation of the full blossom of the hardness of hearts. And that's what we learn. So, In God's word, is having a hard heart ever a good thing? No. God wants to remove a hard heart and give us a heart of flesh. He wants to take away a heart that is bound up. And he wants to give us a heart that feels again. Now, if divorce reveals hard hearts, where are they getting this? Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce? You get this from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. And so it says... When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Now, you know what's fascinating about this? When you read Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 in context, it has nothing to do about divorce. It has to do about the, you can't divorce and get remarried to the same person. That's actually what it's really about. But really what was going on is they were concerned about the idea of wife swapping. Where you send a woman away, you get another wife, you say no, and you send her back. And don't miss that that was a protection. Wife swapping in our culture is kind of like, it's like a niche fun thing, even though it's sinful. But in that culture, it was oppression of women. You got to realize that. That all these protections in divorce were all about protecting women in a patriarchal society. You have to realize that. So this verse isn't about that specifically, but it's what... Moses is getting at, but notice how Jesus responds to it, because Jesus says, back in verse 8 of, of Matthew 19, he says, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not. So, now you notice what Jesus does here. Jesus seizes upon the Pharisees' use of that word permitted or commanded, and he's saying, oh yeah, yeah. listen, divorce is allowed, but only because of the hardness of their hearts. But from the beginning, it was not so. See, what you have now is you have what I would call, there's a tension between God's ideal and the broken world that we live in. Now, I realize, at this point in the message, for those of you who are married and have stayed married, you're married to the wife of your youth or the husband of your youth, you say, yes, right, we're doing it God's way. But then there's all sorts of other people who are here like, man, so I got a divorce, and what do I do now? Here's the deal. And I think it's important because there is a tension between God's ideal and the busted world that we live in, right? Now, if you're here today and you have gotten a divorce, there is grace for you. Because all of us in different areas of our lives have hardness of heart. That's why Jesus came and he died and he rose again. Like the gospel tells us that everybody needs salvation. And so it doesn't matter what it is, everybody needs it. And all of us know what it's like to struggle with a hardness of heart, so if you're here and you're divorced, there is to- there's grace for you. And God is not finished working with you yet. He's not done with you yet. 
But you realize very, very quickly that when it says divorce reveals a hardness of heart, you're like, it's like, ow. But guess what? Anyone who's divorced also knows that there's hardness of heart there. And you know what is also true? Everyone who's married knows that they have to battle against hardness of heart against their spouse. Like, I love my wife, Lynn. I mean, Lynn's amazing, you know? But like, she wants to kill me more times than she wants to hug me, trust me. You know? And like every single day, she's got a battle. Like, am I going to really kill this guy or am I going to love him as I love Jesus? But it's hard, you know, because you're imperfect. And so hardness of heart is a universal condition. And God wants to do a work in all of us. But when you see that hardness of heart in full bloom, and we can see it in all different areas, in the realm of marriage, hardness of heart is most in blossom in the area of divorce. Now, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus and you are married, you need to take the divorce word out of your language. Because right as you start talking about it, you're missing God's ideal and you're focusing on the messiness. You're focusing on the tensions. Now, I know you might be saying, well, Pastor, you don't understand. There's all these real and good reasons. There is. I get that. But you are responsible to walk with Jesus and not allow your heart to get hard. That has nothing to do with your spouse. That has to do with you. And you know what's amazing? Take it out of the realm of marriage. Each one of us, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you are struggling with hardness of heart right now because it's what happens in a broken world. And no one else is responsible for the hardness of our heart. We allow our hearts to be built that way. And that's really important because you know what happens in hardness of heart. We say, no, 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 you can't say that. They did that to me. Listen, they did. But you are responsible for how you integrate that information into your life. Think about the word responsible, response-able. How you respond to someone else is all you. You can choose to respond to someone however you want to. Perfect example of this in my own life, and I wrote about it in my book, Honestly. When my mother passed away, I'll never forget it. My mother, she had a long bout with cancer. It was real nasty. I was really young. I was before I knew Jesus. And I remember after, you know, she passed away, and we went through all, like, the services and everything, and everybody went back home, and my whole life was all messed up all of a sudden. But, you know, and then all of a sudden, I remember I got into my bed, and I just kind of, I just kind of pulled the covers over my hand. I said, man, if this is what life is, forget this. Like, if this is what life looks like, then I'm done. And I remember at that moment, about an hour later, I wish it was at that moment, I laid in bed fully clothed for an hour. And then I remember being like, what am I doing? And I remember talking to a friend of mine and I said, what I just realized is how I deal with this is going to affect me for the rest of my life. How I deal with this. And what I realized was that in that moment, given what had gone on, I could have put a wall up so that nobody ever hurt me again. Because it was my mom. I mean, like, nothing hurts more at that point when you're 20, you know, and especially, like, I'm all Italian, so, like, it's a matriarchal culture. Like, moms are, like, the boss in the family. The dads were the head, but the moms were the boss, you know? It's like moms were the glue in that family. And so I remember just being like, man, how I deal with this is going to affect me the rest of my life. And what I realized is that how I respond to all of these feelings, that's mine. And I, listen, I didn't respond to it perfectly in any way. And I had to take down all sorts of walls. I had to ask the Lord to soften hard places because of the way I dealt with that stuff. But the reality is, is for your life, hardness of heart is something that we all have to do battle with every single day. And you got to ask yourself, how are you dealing with the hardness of your own heart in a broken world? All the things that go wrong, all the things that happen that you don't like, all the things that go on that you wish hadn't had gone on.
We need to ask God for the grace to not allow a hardness of heart to shipwreck the life that God created us for. And I think for all of us, that's something that we have and that we're battling with right here, right now. So he says, listen, in the realm of marriage now, divorce is that hardness of heart. And then he says, in verse nine, he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So now you have, this is what you can call an exception clause. And there's, in the Bible, there's this one exception clause, the idea of sexual immorality some sort of extracurricular activity sexually outside of marriage. Now, let me say this out from the, right up front. That does not have to be a reason for divorce. I've met many couples who there has been the trust of marriage broken by infidelity and they have sought the Lord and God has kept them together. And I commend brothers and sisters who do that. When it comes out that something has gone on that is so much less than ideal, I always say, God can reconcile your marriage if you will give him room. And that is my job to say that. And someone will say, well, I have the justification right here. And I'm always like, oh, listen, God is not looking for us like the Pharisees to be arguing about justifications. What is God's intention? And listen, if you ever meet a pastor and he does that to you or he does it to someone, you know, don't get mad at him. He's just doing his job because nowhere else in the world will you hear about God's intention except from a pastor who's going to quote the Bible to you and say, listen, God might have another plan. But what we mostly want, especially when we have hardness of heart and we're hurt, we just want justification to do whatever we want to do, don't we? And that's one of the problems that we have in humanity is oftentimes we just want to justify our activities. We just want someone to tell us what we're doing is okay and you're right to do it that way. But Jesus often doesn't do that. See, Jesus realizes that in a situation of marital infidelity, that sometimes the, the bonds of trust can be broken so profoundly that reconciliation is impossible. But then he says something that's even more terrifying because he says that if you get divorced and you get remarried, you've committed adultery. And if you marry someone who is divorced, then they've committed adultery. Now, that might sound terrifying, except when you think about what Jesus has already said, that what God has joined together, let no one separate. If you keep that ideal in place, then everyone who's been married previously is in a sense in an adulterous relationship in juxtaposition of the way God created them. So if you follow Jesus' route all the way to the end, you're like, oh yeah, makes total sense. Because there is this importance and primacy on marriage. And Jesus quoted almost the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. He says this. It has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So you put all this together, what you realize is that Jesus places tremendous importance on marriage. And he says that what God has joined together, let no one separate. And because that's the ideal, when there's separation, in a sense, it's committing adultery. And this is the point where a lot of pastors want to wiggle away from what Jesus is saying, but I'm not. I'm just going to let the tension sit. Because what I love about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't resolve all the tensions for us. Why? Because if every tension is resolved, we never have to seek God. And we live in a world that everybody wants unresolved tension. But Jesus oftentimes leaves things really like we are like. I mean, look at how the disciples respond. In verse 10, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Like the disciples get what he's saying. The disciples get that what he's saying is that this is so serious, it should never break. And listen, every time I meet a couple who wants to get married, I tell them, like, listen, 
Are you absolutely sure? Are you so sure? Are you sure? Because this is how serious it is. The disciples got what Jesus was saying. They're like, well, if that's the case, best to stay a bachelor with my dudes the rest of my life. There's no out clause. They got it. Then Jesus begins to speak. Now, I want to read to you a quote by a scholar named R.T. France. Now, I rarely read long quotes. Actually, I quote everybody, but I jumble it up in Fusco land, you know. But I'm going to read you a long quote. And I don't normally do this, but this quote was so powerful and I think really frames the tension of what we live in right now that I wanted to read it. And so I'm hoping you'll track with me. I'm going to try and read it like I'm saying it. But just hear what this guy is saying. I think it's really, really important. He says this, there is an undeniable tension between the absolute idealism of verses four to eight and the acceptance of a reality which falls short of that ideal in verse nine. And the danger is, is that we will do as Jewish legalism had done and build our expectation on the concession rather than the ideal. But Christian ethics in a fallen world will always be subject to such tensions. Sinful situations sometimes make it impossible to implement the ideal. And in such cases, we may have to choose between courses, none of which leave room or no room for regret. Now listen to this. What is important is that in so doing, we do not lose sight of the ideal and that we accept the lesser evil for what it is in evil, even where it is the best course open to us in the circumstances. It is at this point that Jesus's emphasis differs from that of the scribes and even the more rigorous school of Rabbi Shammai. Hear what he's saying? What he's saying is that because we live in a messy world, we always want to base our understanding on the ideals. And when a less than an ideal situation happens, we need to choose what we consider to be the lesser of the evils, but never saying that it's not evil. Does that make sense? What R.T. Francis, he was able to put in a bunch of sentences, my struggle as a pastor living in this world, preaching this text, where it's like, no, no, there is an ideal, and then there makes room for concessions in a broken world. And although certain things go on where the ideal is impossible, in choosing the lesser of the evils, we need to make sure that we don't begin to think the lesser of the evil is actually a virtue, which is exactly what our culture has done. Our culture has made... I'm not happy anymore. I'm out of here. As the de facto virtue for getting a divorce, which absolutely misses God's ideal because the Bible doesn't teach marriage will make you happy. Marriage teaches that if you walk with Jesus, marriage will make you holy. And at best, holiness makes you happy. And I think that's very important. You might say, well, how does marriage make me holy? Because you are in the crucible of discipleship in a family. All of a sudden, all the tensions of each spouse and kids and all stuff, it creates a crucible of discipleship. Now, I want to close because after the disciples say it's better for a man not to marry, then Jesus throws this thing out in verse 10. Look what it says. Or verse 11. He said to them, although all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given, for there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him 
accept it. Now, isn't that a crazy verse? Because the disciples say to him, they say, listen, they say, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. And then Jesus rolls out there, listen, not everyone's going to be able to handle this, but he starts talking about emasculated men, men who no longer have their business, as we would say in this generation. You know? And he says, some were born that way without the capacity. Some were made that way by men working in kingdoms where people who worked in the king's court would lose their business, so to speak. And some who have been made themselves eunuch by themselves for the kingdom of God. What does this teach? My friends, this teaches that you need to celebrate the step that you are on. You need to celebrate the step that you are on. And I think this is super important because when someone wants to get married, I remind them of these verses. Because oftentimes what happens is, especially within Christianity, because if you're honoring the Lord with your body, you're not having sexual relations outside of marriage, then you rush into marriage because your passions are burning so hot. And what happens is, is oftentimes people make tragic mistakes because they don't want to sin against God and they end up choosing the wrong people. And it's a great reminder that Jesus is saying in the freedom in Christ, there are people who have chosen not to marry for the cause of God's kingdom. There's a great cloud of witnesses in the history of Christianity. But if you are not married, don't worry. You're part of God's purposes and plans, just the way that you are. Listen to what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 7 to 9 and then verse 17. It says, for I wish, this is 1 Corinthians 7, 7, that all men were even as I myself. But each one of you has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. The Apostle Paul was single. We don't know how. We don't know anything about the Apostle Paul's wife. We don't know what happened. But we do know that when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he's a single guy, and he's saying, listen, if you're unmarried, stay that way. So he says, And then in 1 Corinthians 7, 17, it says, But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. Now, look, if you're here today and you're single, singleness is not a curse you need to bear. It's you're walking with Jesus as a single person. And if there's a desire in your heart for marriage, then follow hard after Jesus and keep your head up. Jesus is... God has great plans for each person. In today's message, we were reminded that God can use people who are married, single, divorced, widowed, young and old alike. Pastor Daniel encouraged us to embrace where we are right now and turn our focus solely on God and His desires for us. God has grace enough to cover every problem of the past and will stand with us through the trials and the celebrations. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. 
I want to know that you did it, though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel talks with us about the next deep topic Jesus tackles, eternal life. The Son of God is approached by a religious man asking difficult questions, but ones that we all need to tackle. Do we know where we will spend eternity? Because of Jesus' grace, we all get the opportunity to choose heaven, but we need to realize that this isn't just a one-time decision. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Real Talk. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.